Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Who would have known? Who would have known sliding across the wood floor in your underwear would turn into the career that Tom Cruise has had? Who would have ever guessed? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your parents. They'll tell you. Uh, thanks for being your final hour of our week coming up. We're going to go back to the border conversation. The president of the United States, it's rumored that the White House is considering policy changes when it comes to asylum seekers, that they may rearrange the qualifications to apply for asylum to slow the traffic at the border. And there are some people in the president's party, namely Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and some of the farther left-leaning members of his party that are very upset about this because they are open border, for the most part, open border advocates. But the rank and file with this, and I've mentioned this now for months, the rank and file in the Democratic Party are the ones that would have the influence on the White House to make changes. Meaning the Democrats, as I've chronicled so much, the Democrat voters in Chicago who have given their mayor a very low approval rating because of the way he's handled the migrant situation in that city. Denver, Colorado, uh, Washington, D.C., the entire state of Massachusetts because they have a mandatory shelter law. The state of New York, the governor, who was very proud to be a sanctuary governor, did a press tour where she was telling people, don't come here. We're full. We're, and, and actually saying the opposite of what she had said early in her career as governor. The mayor of New York, who sounds a lot like the governor of Texas. My point is rank and file Democrats pretty much across the spectrum of that party have been speaking out. They're not changing their political leanings on anything, but they are all saying in unison, you have got to stop what's happening at the border. Now, the numbers at the northern border are nowhere near what they are at the southern border, but they have seen a huge increase of border crossers at the northern border as well. The other part of this that's so concerning is in the San Diego uh, sector of the border in Southern California, Tijuana in that area, they have seen a 500% increase in Chinese migrants. So the, 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 in your mind, and it's not a narrative I think that's intentionally created to, to skew things or be false, but the narrative for Americans is our Southern border when the border crossers come across, it's people from Mexico or Central America that are making their way for a better life. And that there are a lot of families that are coming here, which we all understand the huge number of unaccompanied migrants that have come here. The families look at the dreamers and the situation we haven't fixed with them. But that is the picture. But what you hear from Border Patrol is that and the way you know, the way it works, CBP, that's Customs and Border Protection. They protect the ports of entry. Border Patrol patrols those areas outside of the ports of entry and people making illegal crossings there. And Border Patrol, they keep track of border crossers. And the statistics is OTMs, other than Mexicans, because they are keeping track and they have for, I mean, a long, at least 15 years. And it's probably been longer than that, where they keep track of what nations border crossers are coming from. And it's important to make that distinction as we're finding out why. Now, Venezuela, who is no friend to the U.S., none whatsoever, and their citizens are fleeing. And there's a whole different political discussion. And maybe on the economy side of it, we'll talk about that because Venezuela has their citizens fleeing and coming to the U.S. 
interesting how a socialist government has people fleeing and coming here. Not a whole lot of Americans trying to run to that country. But Venezuela has stopped the repatriation flights, which are deported Americans. One of the things that the Biden administration believed was if they fly people back to Venezuela or other countries, it'll send the message that don't come. Well, it hasn't really worked. But when these flights are now going back to Venezuela to repatriate people that have crossed into the U.S. illegally, and then it finds out they're not entitled to asylum, so we put them on airplanes and fly them home, Venezuela is going to start stopping those flights. Will the Biden administration step in and say there's not going to be any aid, there are going to be uh, sanctions, but it's the tool we use to repatriate people. And they're saying they're going to take they're not going to take those flights anymore. One's from Mexico and the U.S. We can't force them to take flights from Mexico. But if they're not going to take them from the U.S., what does that mean? So looking at these numbers and what's happening at the border, what choice does the president have? He's he's always had people like me saying what you're doing is wrong. Um, you There's always been this argument, and it was a big argument. If you remember, he talked about surging the border, and I don't know why that's not played more. Well, I guess maybe if you are a, if you're suspicious, you would say, I know why they're not doing it. But with the conversation about the border, it was a cornerstone of the president's um, campaign. There were a couple of big things in his campaign that he was going to do. And one of them was environmentalism, that we were going to get back to an environmental policy and the Green New Deal and electric vehicles. And he was going after the fossil fuel industry. He made that very clear, even in the primary process against Bernie Sanders. The other part of it was on immigration and how what the previous administration, the Trump administration did was in humane and that's not what we're going to do and we can secure the border and we can do it and still be humane to people that want to come to America. Well, that just didn't happen. What we have seen is even people in the president's own party have been telling him your plan has failed. Now, they're going to give uh, credit or they're going to give the benefit of the doubt in being well-intentioned. They, and I'm not, I don't blame them. I mean, if you are in the president's party, you want to see him succeed. You are going to give him credit for being well-intentioned. But when you have cities like Chicago where migrants have been sleeping on the floors of police precincts, where in New York City they're shutting down schools and housing people to keep them out of the elements. When you're talking about the state of Massachusetts spending over a billion dollars feeding migrants and begging its citizens to house migrants in Washington, D.C. and Denver, Colorado saying we don't have any more room and people are being asked to leave. And this is during the month of January when the weather, the winter weather is in Denver, where they're being asked to leave shelters. There is no more room for you and they have to go. You And, and I haven't even mentioned a border state except for the Chinese immigrants coming into California. I haven't mentioned the policy changes, possibly Arizona, if Arizona voters in November have an opportunity to pass a law that would be the most strict immigration law that's ever been written. If the voters in Arizona, Republican, Democrat, independents, if the majority of voters pass that, that sends a message about the belief in the failure of the federal government to do its job. You have seen National Guard uh, soldiers from states across the country sending their guard troops to Texas to help Texas guard its own border because they're using the state police there in Texas to guard parts of the Rio Grande to stop people from coming. The whole argument about razor wire at the border. But this has been a failure. And now the president of the United States, and let's call it, let's say it's 100 percent political. 
that the president understands it's an election year. And when the people that are on his campaign realize that the areas that he is worst off with the voting public and he needs to bolster his numbers are inflation, specifically inflation, economy overall, but inflation and the other is the border. And now which is one in one a I don't know, but it's been a failure of this administration. How do they show compassion like they say they were going to? How can they remain humane? And that's what they said they were going to do and yet show that they've secured the border. The one thing I'll say and I'll continue to say this and I'm hoping that somebody's listening from a member of Congress, a Republican delegation in in Congress from Arizona. Why are the Republicans not going on the Sunday news shows? Why do we not have the Speaker of the House or Congressman Biggs or, you know, I don't want to tell somebody else how to do their jobs. But for the very first time when it comes to the border in 15 years, we've got an agreement. We agree on both sides of the aisle that there's a crisis at our southern border. We may disagree on how to fix it. But the president says it's a crisis. Karine Jean-Pierre says it's a crisis. Um, the uh, Homeland Security Secretary said it's a crisis. The vice president said it's a crisis. Well, the Republicans have been saying it's a crisis for 15, 20 years. Now you've got the Democrats saying we have a crisis. Now they're blaming Republicans for it, but there's an agreement that there's a crisis. I would be shouting that as a Republican. Let's start there. Now we all agree it's a crisis. Let's fix the crisis. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. We call it Did You Hear This? Stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, time to catch you up on our biggest news stories. We call it Did You Hear This? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The Office of Accountability and Transparency has released two reviews of Phoenix Police excessive force cases. Here's some details on one of those cases from ABC 15. In the internal investigation of the 2022 handcuffing of Wall Street Journal reporter Dion Rabowin while he was covering a story outside of Phoenix Bank. Oates Review found Phoenix Police failed to ask the involved officer any questions about the allegation that race was a factor in the detainment. What are your thoughts on these reports? Well, on that one specifically, what that does is plant doubt in some people's minds by asking a question that was completely irrelevant because the insinuation is, did that officer act this way toward a black suspect and he wouldn't have done the same thing to a white suspect? There is absolutely no evidence of that being the case. And the police did their job. As a matter of fact, the officer was uh, held accountable for a search issue and was re- went through some retraining. So they did their full job. My problem with these reports is they ask questions that have no basis in fact. It's more like, well, what about this? You could have done this. Why didn't you do that? It makes it sound as if the police are still trying to cover something up. That's what's dangerous about this. This office has no ability to punish. They have no power to do anything, but they ask questions and it puts doubt in people's minds. I think we got to get past all of this. If a cop does something wrong, hold him or her accountable and make sure they're held accountable in the right way. If they aren't doing anything wrong, stop insinuating that they might have. President of APS, Ted Geisler, went on Arizona's Morning News after the Arizona Corporation Commission voted to approve a rate hike for APS customers. This uh, increase is definitely less than uh, our original request. 
We think the commission uh, found a, a fair balance between trying to protect customers, but also ensure that we're able to recover costs so that we can continue to invest in the grid and strengthen reliability for future summers. How do you feel about a rake hike for a company that doesn't really have any competitors? Well, they, you know, SRP is a competitor, depending on how it's broken down by zones. It is not, you're right, it's not something where they have to compete against each other. But the issue here is about, is about the idea of being competitive, but it's also about being, about performance-based. So um, a completely different world, but we just saw cell phone service go down because of a glitch that happened. They say it was a software issue. But in this case, what happens in the Arizona summers if we have a long-term interruption? of power. That has got to be a big concern because it's a life safety issue. In that regard, they showed the Corporation Commission that the need for an increase was there so that they could make sure the grid remained strong. So I think scrutiny worked here. It's less than they asked for, but they are going to get an increase. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on the big headlines. With the start of spring training underway, you may notice the MLB seems to have a fashion emergency on their hands. Major League Baseball is trying to go with lighter performance uniforms, but with the switch first unveiled at the All-Star Game last year, there's a problem. In spring training, players have quickly noticed the pants are see-through, and some players say the new jerseys look amateur, the numbers look weird, and the whole thing fits strangely. And supply chain problems have players joking they're just going to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy their own pants that are not see-through. Does this make baseball more appealing to you? Because I'm kind of more interested in going to a spring training game now. It, it definitely gives new meaning to the phrase play ball, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I saw this story earlier today and I thought, oh, the people are going to have some fun with this one because it is, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's going to be an issue and I think they're probably going to solve it pretty quickly. I think we need to make a last-minute trip to your homeland this weekend, Mike. There's a few vital components, I think, to a good Florida man story. One is evading arrest. Pete Melfi is the Florida man behind the Florida man games, including... The competitors are going to have to grab a bucket of alligators and try to chuck these through the drive through window. 16 teams square off this weekend in St. Augustine, Florida. Florida man games. Have you ever heard of this or participated in it no, as a I, Florida man? Listen, um... My life was the Florida Man Games. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Grabbing an alligator and chucking it was have, just a Tuesday to you? Have I ever told you the story? No, I don't I'm, think so. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. And used, my friends used to make fun of me for being afraid of snakes. And my friend's dad one time was making fun of me. And I said, I'm not afraid of alligators. I said, I would jump on an alligator before I would go near a snake. And he said, I'll give you 50 bucks. Now I was about 14 years old. I'll That's give you a lot of money. I'll give you 50 bucks. I said, okay. So we were on the airboats in the middle of a swamp. And we cruised up next to an alligator, about a four-foot alligator, and I jumped off the boat onto the alligator. <gasps> and it dragged me underwater about seven, six feet before I let go of it and scratched me up. But I survived, and I got my 50 bucks. So I am the original Florida Man game. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but it's a true story. <laughs> Great job, Jess. Um, We will do it again. Pick it up on Monday morning where we'll do it again. Uh, Coming up in a moment, we're going to go back to the economy, the average salary in Arizona. But there's more to it. It's a little deeper than that. How what's happening and what's affecting our economy and nationwide? What are people saying about the policies and what it's doing? So we'll talk about it next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, I'm, I'm looking this up while we're uh, while we're talking. I am or while I'm talking, I'm on this looking at my cell phone bill. And there's a reason why I'm doing this. Uh, one of the complaints that's happening in the state of California, they want to raise the minimum wage. The restaurant industry is saying this is absolutely going to crush so many people. Um but what is interesting about this is what you pay in your bill and the amount of the invoice and what's in here, how much you pay for your lines and charges. Um, but there also are service fees that come in, surcharges, federal universal service charge, 40 cents, regulatory charge, 16 cents, admin and telco recovery charge, $3.30, Phoenix Trans Park surcharge on telephones, 18 cents, Maricopa County uh, privilege surcharge, uh, 3 cents, um, Arizona privilege telephone, 16 cents, Phoenix City. So you go over this and there's all of these charges from federal state and local agencies that charge you all these fees on your cell phone plan. I bring this up because um, one of the one of the big complaints that's coming in is people are saying that the restaurant owners warn that new California law will make menu prices skyrocket. A new California law signed by Gavin Newsom last October will ban junk fees across a variety of businesses, but some warn that customers in restaurants will be shocked at the rise in prices. So with Senate Bill 478, in a press release, it was signed warning that deceptive price advertising is a significant problem facing consumers. So once again, you have got the an adversarial relationship between business and the government. The government saying this is the this is the and in some cases, I guess it's it's true, which is why we do need some regulation. But you have the government saying, you know, they're always trying to stick it to you. And if it wasn't for us stepping in, you would be getting charged all of these fees. And the industry says if you're trying to save people money. This is not going to happen. You're going to see huge price increases. I just read to you in my cell phone bill, four dollars and thirty five cents every single month of charges just on my cell phone bill. Federal, regulatory, admin and telco, Phoenix, Maricopa County, Arizona, Phoenix, Maricopa County, Arizona, all of these fees that add up to $4.35 per month. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of money, but this is exactly what the government does. So what happens? There are fees attached to everything. There's an we we pay a lot of money. I pay a lot of money to register my vehicle, um, which I you know I pay what I got to pay to drive on the roads in Arizona like everyone else. But we never hold the government accountable for what they charge us. Not to mention, I will tell you, and I think most people would agree with this: if customer service from Verizon, which is where I have my cell phone plan, and I've been with Verizon for a very, very, very long time. Nothing against the other service providers. I just am a Verizon customer. If Verizon treated me the way customer service uh, is is done by some government agencies, if the value for what I was paying for was the same as we get from government, I'd switch my plan, and so would you. 
The whole idea of deregulation was to ensure that there wasn't a monopoly, to make sure that customer service and competition ruled the day so that companies do not collude with each other on price increases. So they're actually battling for your business. It's like with all, there's a difference in my mind between automobile insurance and health insurance in that regard. There's got to be a reason why you see so many insurance ads for automobile insurance and the competitive nature of the automobile insurance agency and the billions of dollars that they spend versus health insurance and what that costs. When you're competing for people's business, it's about customer service, it's about value for what people are spending, and it's about price. It's the same thing with the airlines, it's the same thing with others, that they are competing against each other for your business. I don't know when the last time you looked at your cell phone bill and see what your surcharges are every month for what you pay and then, you know, multiply that out and be able to say, well, it's really not that much money, but it's the exact same thing. You pay taxes, right? We pay taxes. So you think, okay, I've paid my taxes and I'll pay sales taxes when I buy something, um, <clears throat> whatever else. But isn't it fascinating you find out all of these government surcharges that are added on? So how is it? I will say, honestly, this is, again, part of my political ideology is based in my po policy ideology. I will trust private industry a hundred times more than I'll trust a government agency, not because it's bad people working in government. There are very good people and good intentioned people in government. I trust private industry that has to compete, that has to be competitive in their pricing and their performance before I trust a government agency. And you've got this battle here. California wants to raise the minimum wage, and they don't think that that's going to be more high, be higher prices for people and cost people jobs. I've got a bunch of stories in here where leaders in industry are saying, if these policies from the federal government go through, it could cost a million jobs because we just won't be able to handle them. So all of this progress we've made in jo strong job numbers and everything else, the more the government gets involved where it's unnecessary, the more cost it becomes for the companies to do business. When it costs them more money to do business, it costs you. Every product that's ever been manufactured, when they look at price point, they're looking at value and what they can get, what they can charge in the market, but it begins on what it, with what it costs to build that product or products. We all know that. So if you have an idea for something and you say, okay, it's gonna cost me $3 each to build these, $3 to build them. And that's going to include manufacturing, packaging, and distribution. It costs me $3 a piece. When I look around, the average person in the public is only going to pay $2.80 for this thing. That's what the studies show. You've got a loser. No one's going to buy it. You're going to lose money on the product. And everyone looks at that. And when it costs more money to provide something to someone, your prices go up. When you're paying more at the pump, like we saw record fuel prices, when you pay more at the pump, think about the companies that deliver your goods or show up to do service. They're going to charge more money because they can't afford to do business anymore. And so I'm not anti-government. What I am is this idea that my first inclination when you see these things 
And people fall for this. $72 billion in debt is the state of California. They're running businesses out of that state. There are people that are leaving. Wealthy people, wealthy businesses are leaving California. They're coming to Arizona. They're going to Texas. They're going to Florida. The same within the Northeast. The rich people and the wealthy businesses are going to more tax-friendly places because they can afford to do business there. And who's benefiting? The taxpayers in those states because, A, there is an increase in their tax rolls. B, people have to compete for the jobs. So we don't have to falsely raise wages. We can do it organically because there's a demand for labor. Arizona has benefited greatly. This is about policy for me. It's not about politics. It it doesn't make any sense that we automatically trust that Gavin Newsom is looking out for you, the consumer, and trying to get rid of these junk fees by the cheaters in the government. Go look at your cell phone bill. Go look at your cell phone bill. It's just an indication of all these little fees and charges. So it's bad when private industry does it, but it's okay when the government does it. You already pay taxes, income taxes and sales taxes. What about all these fees? How does that get in there? Is that not the same thing they're trying to stop? I just think it's just an example of what is bad behavior. All right, before we close it out, we're going to talk about education. There's an interesting story about student loan debt. I'm going to get to that coming up before we close out the week. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, just a few minutes left before we're done for our week. Um, I'm going to read from a Zero Hedge story. The courts, in the exercise of what is called equity jurisdiction, have long excused borrowers from obligations incurred through fraud, duress, and other forms of creditor unfairness. This is the beginning of a story. In addition, the federal bankruptcy laws offer a path to safety for debtors who get in over their heads. President Biden's student loan forgiveness measures qualify as neither. In other words, the federal courts have said that the president can't unilaterally shift the debt and say that you don't have to pay back your student loans and shift that burden onto the other taxpayers. And yet the president continues to do it. And I'll tell you why I think this is a problem. And maybe this is uh, a... I've thought about this quite a bit. My brother was saddled with some student loan debt, um, and and I know other people that have had student loan debt that took them a long time to pay off. So I understand it's difficult, but how it, it almost seems as if this is, and maybe I'm misinterpreting, and maybe it's my working class background, I don't know, but right now, as I'm speaking, There are people out there without college degrees that are working in industries and they become business owners. And I think that's what did it for me is I worked my way up through the trades with the sweat of my brow, literally working on job sites and getting my hands dirty for years and years and years and years to become an expert in my trade, to become what's known as a master electrician. Doesn't mean I was the best in the entire world, but I was a very good electrician. And I learned the business side of things from people that taught me how to do it. And then I went out and I became a business owner. And when I made mistakes, I paid for them. It was on me. And if I couldn't pay my bills, I would have had to have filed bankruptcy. But fortunately, my radio career was taking off at the time my business was falling apart because the real estate bubble burst and Arizona's economy was in a bad place. And I was able to take the money I was making in radio and over the period of a few years, repay my debt to my creditors in my electrical contracting business. And so I learned a valuable lesson, but I also never in a million years thought that I would be able to shift my burden of responsibility when I was able to pay it. 
This is different. Um, and what's funny is I think in a lot of student loans, and I don't have any student loans, so I can't. I, I'm, I'm, I've been told that when you file bankruptcy, student loans aren't included. I mean, the government protected itself. So you can not pay your creditors, but you have to pay the government. The president of the United States is now saying students who may have made a mistake, that may have gotten a college degree in something that sounded like fun and they just wanted the college experience. And now they're finding out that the career path that they took by enrolling in college isn't paying the bills. And now their college reimbursement of their uh, college tuition, their student loans is costing them a great deal of money. Well, that's everybody makes those mistakes. We all have to pay our bills. How many of us have gotten underwater with credit cards? We're not necessarily through our own fault, but we're suffering and we're, who's going to relieve those? Are we going to see as the government, does the government believe that it has the ability to reduce your credit card debt? Can they tell the credit card companies that the, you, you don't have to? No, they have other agencies. They have private companies that will help you negotiate debt relief. If you're if you can't pay your bills and that's up to the private industry to decide whether or not that you are entitled to relief or if they're going to hold you to your contract of paying everything you owe. This makes no sense to me. It seems as if the working class people like me, the 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 men and women out there on job sites right now are on their way to lunch um, from a job site in the work trucks. No one is relieving them of their debt. And many of them end up, you know, learning uh, the trades, going to classes and schools that they pay for, but it's not the amount of debt that you see at the college level in order to get better at their trade, get better at their skill. And they're not getting relief. And yet we're the president of the United States is unilaterally telling people you don't have to pay your loan back anymore. The American people are going to are going to shoulder that burden. The, the, the debt doesn't disappear. It just doesn't disappear. We, the taxpayers, have to pay it. And no offense, I don't want to pay for your your art your art degree. I don't want to you know I don't want to pay. And I'm I don't mean to sound harsh. I'm just saying that you borrowed the money to go to school and you knew you were going to have to pay it back. And if you didn't know what your career path would pay you, that's your fault or your guidance counselors in high school. And that doesn't mean that you should be punished, but paying back money you borrowed isn't a punishment. It's a requirement. Punishment is when you haven't done anything wrong and you have to pay the price, like me paying your student loans with my taxes. You can't, as the president of the United States, say this group of people are going to get a break and we're going to cancel their debt. And over here, these people are going to continue to pay the debt. I, it doesn't make sense. I think it's unfair. I think it sends the wrong message. And I think there's going to be a court fight about this. All right, the music means we're almost out of time. As a matter of fact, I'm out of time for the whole week. We won't be back until Monday. Uh, if you're a social media user, you can hit me up over the weekend on X. You can follow me personally at BroomheadKTAR. At Broomhead Show gives you updates. It used to be Twitter. It gives you updates on what we're doing on the show, guests and otherwise. Please follow both. Stay in touch. And if you're an Instagram user, User Mike Broomhead, all one word on Instagram, is where you can find me on the weekend as well. I hope you'll stay in touch throughout the weekend. We're going to be back Monday morning just after 8 a.m. After a good weekend, hope yours is great. God bless.